This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. Hello, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. Welcome to episode 54. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I hope you're having a great morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. You are in for a fantastic conversation today, as per usual. At least I think they're fantastic. Uh, (laughs) um, Before I jump into the conversation, just a couple quick announcements. One, I'm going to be in Greenville, North Carolina this weekend with the Reformation Project for Elevating the Dialogue, an event um, featuring a panel of pastors both from all different kinds of theological backgrounds. So we have folks who are non-affirming, we have people who are completely affirming, and we have people who are kind of in like a third-way situation, so to speak. And the conversation is basically to humanize everybody in, in this conversation so that we don't see each other as these, as these big, horrible, um, nebulous kind of entities, but rather really humanize us to say, oh, we really do have something to learn from one another. And um, more than that, it's actually to get a whole bunch of conservative people in a room and actually interact with affirming Christians and LGBTQ Christians for the first time, probably, which is huge for so many folks living in the South. So if you're in Greenville, North Carolina, come out. It's this coming Sunday. All the information can be found on Facebook. Just look up Elevating the Dialogue, and it should pop up as an event. The event is free, but you do need to get registered, so check that out, and I'll see you in North Carolina this weekend. This week, I'm talking with Tina Alexis Allen. Tina is a GLAAD Award-nominated actress, producer, scriptwriter, and playwright. Allen is a cast member of the TV series Outsiders on WG in America, and also co-starred in feature films Moving Mountains and Taurus Dilemma, as well as the web series Looking for Kathleen. In this conversation, Tina and I dive into so many things, including and mostly surrounding her new book that's come out recently called Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives. Y'all, it is so good. So many people have said it's a page turner, and I can echo that sentiment. It is so good. Um, Our conversation ranges everything from her childhood to growing up religious in a very conservative Catholic home to what spirituality looks like now to even what it feels like to have a parent move on to the next life and what it is to kind of feel them still around us. So it gets, uh, it's beautiful and I really enjoyed this conversation. I know that you will too. So go ahead, grab yourself some coffee or maybe something that you love to drink anyways. Grab yourself a friend, sit down, listen to my conversation with my friend, Tina Alexis Allen. So um, I'm an actress uh, first, uh, a writer, a playwright, uh, an activist. I have a a socially conscious jewelry brand, which uh, we may not have time to get into today, but it's basically um, uh, in the territory of of, uh, gun violence and uh, stopping uh, the madness. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I was on Outsiders, a TV show for two seasons that ended uh, in the spring. And then I've just written my first uh, memoir, my first book, uh, Hiding Out, 
a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives uh, with Harper Collins. And um, basically, I kind of am bouncing between writing and acting now. My uh, writing career seems to have taken off the last three years. So I'm also writing screenplays and um, deep in work with some producer writer teams. Um, and yeah, my life is incredibly full and blessed and um, forward. Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I always love to do things that I haven't done before. I guess it's why I've had such a varied career, um, you know, from MBA to executive to actor to writer to author, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's because I like challenge. So I'm not sure what lies ahead. Um, maybe a little bit of directing. And I'd like to turn hiding out into a television series. So I think that's uh, numero uno. And uh, of course, more books, writing more books. Yeah. When you said turning hiding out into a TV series, my eyebrows shot all the way up. <laughs> glad to hear <laughs> because that sounds um thrilling yeah. um and also like so terrifying to like use your own life as material for uh such a big creative endeavor like that you know it is until it's not um i think you know interestingly one of the reasons i wrote this book is is so that i hope people who read it aren't so terrified of their own lives, uh, specifically their own secrets or things they might be shameful of because I have been working with my life story in many different ways. I've done two solo shows over the years that I've written and performed, playing various members of my family. I did one playing my dad off-Broadway a few mm. years back um, and exploring his life, playing a man, which was an incredible experience and challenge and so holding my story uh, to write this book um, wasn't really that heavy. Not to say that I, um, you know, didn't have moments or, um, you know, might have things that come back that's sort of like, oh, it feels like a weight on you. But yeah. I think the, the longer, um, I don't know, the longer we spend um, exploring our story and not interpreting it so much, uh, as good or bad, the easier it is to put it into the world. And I think then there's the chance to help other people because then they see, gosh, my, my life isn't quite as crazy as I thought it was. Or maybe I don't have to be ashamed of that. Or maybe I can apologize or receive the apology. Yeah. The thing you just said that kind of stood out to me was um, looking at your story and not kind of, I, I, you didn't say this exactly, but not judging it as either good or bad. And I think you mm -hmm. touched on this in Matthias's podcast too, about um like especially when you were playing um playing your dad through your solo show about how you didn't view it as neither good or bad it just kind of was what it was yeah my sister has this expression she's been saying to me um uh the for the past month since i've been on this book tour and she goes you know it's it's true tina it's just rain you know it it, it happened it happens and when we can just see it for what it is and not um uh, judge it and, you know, be of it. I think that takes time. Don't get me wrong. I don't think, you know, people go through traumatic events in their life and it's not just, oh, it happened. I'm done. You have to spend some time with it. But having done that for many, 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 many years, uh, the book actually, or the idea of a TV series isn't threatening to me in any way. I don't mm. feel shame or blame, uh, or judgment. So it's much easier to you know stretch it out like a piece of putty in this way or that way and not not mm. be blown 
blown around by it. Yeah. I think that when many creatives at least started off in their life, I like, I know, um, so when I was, <laughs> when I was like 21, I was trying to be real ambitious and kind of like write a memoir and like, and then like, I'm now it's like nearing the end of my twenties and I'm just like, what was I thinking <laughs> trying to, to write about <laughs> what I was like, what the fuck did I know? Please. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it was so, um, interesting. Like, like I still have all those writings, but looking back on it now and seeing like, how I wrote from a very different perspective than I am now. Um, since like writing your book and like writing these different plays around your family and your experiences with dealing with, uh, not only just, um, you know, the story of your father, um, being a very devout Catholic man, someone who you've referred to as like a very holy man, like who is in touch with like Vatican officials and things like that. Um, Which still like, kind of blows my mind that anyone has access like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to uncover all the details, but certainly in the book, without giving spoilers away, um, I do explore and discover a lot of uh, very strange uh, dealings with Vatican and um, uh, other church officials that um, seem seem uh, kind of Dan Brown-esque. Yeah. Which is like also like that series. Like I was when I was really young, I was told that I was not allowed to read the Da Vinci Code. For, oh, I'm wow. so I'm so serious. Like my family is super Southern and conservative, so wow. it's just like you want to talk about like, question anything, can't watch that wow. movie. Is your so was your is your family Catholic or what religion are they? Or are they just conservative in general? Uh, conservative evangelical Christians, but it's like uh-huh. anything that sort of like questions like the divinity of Christ or. Um, kind of like uh, pokes at the narrative that we've been handed was a yeah. threat. And uh, so thus we were unable to like, you know, it was like th- also things like Harry Potter. We weren't allowed to read Harry Potter for a long time either. Cause it was yeah. witchcraft y'all. Witchcraft. It was, yeah, all of that. Um, I just want to make sure, are you hearing me? Okay. I have a little bit of um, uh, banging in, in the back cause they're renovating our hallways. So um, oh, you sound great. <laughs> welcome you sound to fine. New York. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Everything sounds fine. Don't you worry. Oh. Beautiful. Um, so knowing that you y'all did y'all did that's such good grammar. <laughs> y'all. Y'all. I'm from Maryland, so I sometimes say Maryland or y'all or yeah, it slips out occasionally too. Anytime I'm around my family, my southern accent comes out so hard. Yeah. Um, but but y'all grew up in a very um, very conservative Catholic home. Yes. And I think the thing, like even before I opened your book, um, reading the back cover on where it just had the excerpt from the book where you're standing at the top of the stairs and your father's greeting you and uh, your partner at the time. And he just kind of just like comes out to you like then and there, like what was that experience like of having uh, your dad being so nonchalant about it? Well, interestingly um, he was so uh, loving and compassionate and that wasn't really the man that was generally showing up at home you know he was he was actually pretty tough and sometimes mean uh, as I as I describe in the book to us and my mother particularly um, so the fact that he was even uh, being so gentle and loving um, around the discovery or his assumption that I was with my partner, which I was, she was there at the dinner, um, was mind blowing because, um, one, I was completely in the closet. I, I was Mm -hmm. living in Chevy Chase, Maryland, had gone to Catholic school all my life. Um, 
I was not out in any way. And it was scary, not in, in my family, but also in my community. Uh, it was always, um, you know, it was the 80s, so it was a different time. Yeah. And um, so so when he, when he, first of all, outed me, that was incredibly shaky. And mm. I can feel now just sort of remembering the terror of now what? Now what's going to come? Uh, my family's going to know. Um, how am I going to be treated? Am I going to be ostracized? What's going to happen? You know, but, but really I was scared of him. And then of course, um, and this isn't a spoiler cause it's on the back cover of my book. And frankly, it's only chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the tip of the iceberg. What I'm really about to say, which is then he, of course, uh, took our hands and, and revealed that he too, um, was gay. He too had male lovers. He had a lover before my mother and was active, um, I came to learn, uh, still with men. So mm -hmm. that was beyond my blowing. Uh, the first round was, you know, a bit of a knockout punch and I don't really know what the other was. It was, it was, it was from some other planet. I, I, I was flabbergasted in every way, shape and form. And yet it, totally turned my relationship with my dad 360 degrees hmm. uh, I didn't have a relationship so in a way on the surface you could look at it as wow that's super heavy which is one way to look at it and not necessarily untrue but the other piece of it is that it was also loving and an opening both for him and for me yeah. to have more breath in our lives and to have somebody accept us for who we were inside our own family. So it for sure is bittersweet, uh, the big picture, but there's a lot of love and compassion and beauty in the craziness, which is kind of like life, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like hearing, um, like reading that portion, I felt so much of like my own self in it. I, uh, when I was like 16, my father and I, no, it wasn't even, I wasn't even 16. I think I was like 15 or something. I was a sophomore in high school and my dad, uh, and I got into this fight because I was, you know, in theater, like every other, you know, little, little gay boy in high school. Uh -huh. And I was talking to him about like going to college to study theater and he got real defensive and mm. kind of said, Kevin, it's not, uh, and I told him, I said, well, this is what is going to make me happy. I think this is where I feel most alive. And he said, Kevin, it's not about you being happy. It's about you being employable. And wow. he went on this like tirade about how like all like all the guys in theater were were homosexuals and that uh, a bunch of other mean things at that point. Like I just shut down and I was like, I cannot believe I, like, I'm talking about this right now. And wow. I was I was super closeted, went up to my room. And later on that day, like I just stayed up in my room, like working on whatever I was working on. And he comes up to the room and says, um, hey, I'm sorry for how I was talking to you. And that was like the only time in my dad's life, God rest his soul, that he ever apologized that I remember. Wow. Wow. And then uh, he proceeded to like drill down with a series of questions. And rather than like kind of like the loving approach, like he just kept asking, like, you know, do you have a problem with sex? And like, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe kind of. And he's like, yeah. well, Kevin, are you are you gay? And I'm like, kind of. Because that was like the only words I had was just yeah. It's it's just yeah. very interesting how I feel like in some ways like when somebody else kind of like peers through your glass closet so to mm -hmm. speak mm -hmm. and 
tells you like what's going on there. Like, like it was almost like I wasn't, I knew that I wasn't ready to like tackle the question of what this could mean. Cause all the same questions you just named of like, what next? Mm-hmm. Who, like, what is my family going to do? Am I going to be ostracized? And that's so scary. And that happens all the time still like where, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Be- yeah, it's amazing how much it still does happen. I did an interview with Teen Vogue, uh, which will be out fairly soon. Oh, and dope. Um, they, you know, I was loving the conversation we were having, having uh, the interviewer and myself, because it really was about, um, you know, advice for young people who do feel that, that they've they've come out, they they're having great challenges or have to the extreme been ostracized from their family. Mm. They're not speaking. And, you know, one of the things that struck me is that where I was and where I eventually got to specifically with my mom, who was um, maybe drilled down in her own gentle way, but did drill down with me and didn't approve uh, of my choice. And, um, you know, from her religious standpoint as a devout Catholic, you know, it was basically a sin. So you know, I'm sure she thought I was going to hell. So assuming she really did believe that there was hell and that one is going to end up there, uh, how could I judge her for worrying about me? Mm. When we actually get underneath it and stop being defensive, and it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that they're right or we're right or they're wrong and we're wrong. It just means that we really oftentimes, often, not Mm. always, have a completely different take on what's right or wrong. And so I feel like, and what I said to this um, interviewer about sort of specifically teens is, you know, she was saying, well, what what can they do? I mean, I think it's absolutely uh, essential that all of us at any age in this situation find our tribe. Mm -hmm. We define the people who love us for exactly who we are. That's the first thing. It may not be your family, but once we find that and we get our legs back and we get our strength and we own our voice and we stand for who we are, it's easier to go back into the family because then you start to realize those kind of things like, oh, well, actually, in a way, my mother probably really was authentically worried, mm-hmm. like burn in hell. Yeah, it's kind of a big thing to worry about. Yeah, so if she really believes that, and that's her fundamental belief, then then her 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 judgment of me or her worry of me makes sense to her. I don't believe in hell and I don't think anyone's burning in hell. Same. I think the burning might happen on earth when you don't own who you are. Come that on. That might feel like hell. Mm-hmm. However, um, because I don't come from that space, it's impossible for me to go, you're judging me because why? But that's what growing up is. That's part of our responsibility is to start holding our families and specifically our parents just as human beings, just as people, you know, as your boss who has an opinion, as your neighbor who has an opinion. They are just people. And yes, it hurts more in the beginning. But in the end, if you can get to that place of just seeing people as human beings, including family, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I actually um, I had to like. Oh my gosh, sorry. Like, I'm having, like, all these moments, uh, uh, like, full disclosure. Like, my dad died, like, last month. And so... sorry. Me too. Um, But as I've been... As I've been uh, 
working through actually no sorry it was february wow time is when you're growing through grief i feel like time kind of collapses like folds in on itself and it's like it feels like the longest and fastest thing ever it's so true it's so strange um but the thing that you said about viewing our parents from like kind of like treating our parents like people rather than as like her parents because i think there is like a shift from when they're going from this role of you are my parental figure you are the person who i'm looking to for advice and wisdom and um all these other things too like oh you're also a human in the world who is dealing with this like a lot of like being human in the world yeah and because you are someone who's a human being a human in the world you're making choices and you're dealing with struggles and you have your own traumas that caused you to do x y and z and so it's like when i can look at the memory of my father from that perspective and like the things he went through with like not having a great childhood and um you know being a uh, special forces um veteran and all like the crazy shit he had to do when he was a part of the various wars he was in it's like it's no wonder you did x y and z because you were never given the tools to properly function mm-hmm. in uh in a, in a in a family system because the only thing you've ever known is like secrets and secrets and self-preservation yeah exactly it's um it's i think it's part of our responsibility as human beings that we do exactly that you know step into that space of you know evolving from looking at our parents as the people with all the power to um you know leveling the the playing field uh and and what you just said is exactly how one does it you start to you know get a little less self-involved, which comes with age, to see that other people have their cross to bear, if you will, as well as we do. So I don't know if I suffered more or less. It doesn't really matter, but I know that other people suffered. You know, other people in my family Mm -hmm. suffered. My parents had their suffering. Um, They did the best they could. And it is a bit of a cliche to say that, but I think when you can really believe that, life changes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's this kind of uh, I think it's an act of self compassion, and and by by extending compassion to others, you also extend compassion to yourself. Like it's very like it's like, very interesting for me because I'll often note like in like my own therapy sessions as I'm talking through my own you know family stuff that I can hold like these these tensions of my dad was not the greatest human in the world, and mm. at the same time. My dad was also just as messed up, you know, you know, probably even more messed up in some ways than than I was. So if I can view him through this kind of like higher level lens, and I think if you want to like take that same thing and apply it to, uh, you know, spiritual systems or institutional church systems where we have all these people who are doing the most and the worst to LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. the, I think the thing that sustains a lot of my work at least is being able to look at these individuals and say, yeah, from your perspective, kind of like how you're saying with your mother, you Mm -hmm. genuinely believe that like, this is, this is something sinful and like punishable by hell, fire and damnation. Mm -hmm. So of course, when you like live in the spirit of being fearful of everything, you're going to like take certain actions to mitigate that fear. Mm -hmm. And so as people, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say at a higher plane of spiritual understanding or just at least like 
we've like walked through things that have led us to different conclusions mm-hmm. when we can place ourselves in the shoes of another person it's like it allows me to be less angry with them it's like oh well of course you would think that way because you haven't been shown anything different yeah um when I played my father off Broadway, speaking of walking in someone else's shoes, mm. um, one of the reasons that I did that is, um, in hindsight, you know, he had passed a couple years before, and my relationship with him was is so highly unusual and and unique and complicated, um, and sexy and crazy and everything else that's that's there in the book, but. Um, I wanted to understand him better. I, I never quite understood, you know, because I was always a little afraid of him, even when we got really close and hung out a lot. Um, I never really pushed for the tough questions. You know, I never pushed him to answer, I think, out of that fear. Um, and when he passed, I think uh, after a couple of years, um, there was a part of me that really longed to understand how he compartmentalized all yeah. that, how he justified because I believe he was really authentically uh, faith-based and um, seeking and um, he did a lot of things that were um, absolutely good in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people, poor, sick, handicapped, he was very uh, involved in all of uh, those kinds of causes and and generous beyond. But I didn't understand how he could consolidate a church devoting himself to a church to an institution that basically would have rejected him and kicked him out had they known the full story yeah so walking in his shoes part of that was to understand and then also understand the man who came home and was really not a very nice person at home like what was going on and the one thing i walked away from that surprised me i remember being in a rehearsal um and exploring something um and and after I was done, it was like a lightning bolt went off. And I said to myself, he didn't want to be that way. Like mm. I asked it from an internal space as him that he struggled, that he didn't want to be that. Because as a kid, if your parent is a certain way, you you just assume that's that's just them. You're not thinking through boy, they're probably up in their room feeling bad right now. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? You're just like, they're an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I say that. (laughs) I just did. Um, You know, it's, but what I got from walking in his shoes was some really fundamental awakenings about who I think he actually was. And Mm. I knew him pretty well. But I, having played him, I, I stopped compartmentalizing him in death the way that he had to compartmentalize himself in life and that's something I know some of my siblings wish I weren't doing but I refuse to sort of leave him in this compartmentalized state or um, legacy Mm -hmm. and I think that was part of doing the show too and I'm thinking about your dad and who he is and your Mm -hmm. own journey and and wondering what and how you'll change his legacy by being fully who you are Mm. that's so i'm not getting teary-eyed right now you're getting teary-eyed holy shit (laughs) Ah, i wasn't expecting to get ministered to on a tuesday morning yeah um it's a big time losing a parent is a is a huge huge uh transition and i'm i my 
do feel for you. I know I know how it is having lost both my parents. I know that yeah. space. It's it's very tender. Yeah, it's it feels so strange. Um, I I also I wasn't very close with him. That was the other thing that was very strange too. Is to go from you know being you know I hadn't talked to him in in two and a half years. Hadn't seen him in three. Um, and the day that I was like flying up to see him uh, when he went into hospice care was actually the day that he passed, and it was mm. this feeling of—I don't know—it it, was—it was a feeling of I feel so horrible because I'm never gonna get—I'm not gonna get to say the things I need to say right now. But it was also um, this feeling <laughs> of okay, you know. Almost, almost like the question of just like, okay, like who am I going to become now? Mm. Um, mm. Because the entire week leading up to me traveling up there, I had done a lot of like internal work of like just attempting to release forgiveness over all of the things that I was angry about, and kind of like having this conclusion when I was, um, I was actually in a yoga class and having you know the most spiritual experience ever in a yoga class, and I just hear this this voice from me, and I I would say it's the Holy Ghost if you will. And the spirit just said like, you know, the best parts of your dad are living in you. And the best parts of your dad are the things you have yet to discover. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's beautiful. That's, that's, it's, it's really incredible. Um, you know, I think, I think people live forever in us because I do think that they are in our hearts. So, Mm It's sort of like if somebody's in your heart, then maybe it is true that they last forever. It's I don't I don't know. It's um, you know, my mother assured me before she passed that I would always be she would always be in my heart, and that's true. Mm-hmm. So in a way, they never leave us. Yeah, and Did it's I... up to us to keep it active, right? It's up, it's up to us. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have? Um... Do you ever have any moments like throughout your day? And this is kind of me being like a little ooky spooky maybe, but uh-huh. I have these moments where like I just come into awareness that like my dad is like his spirit is like somewhere around me in the room. Yeah, I definitely have felt him. I mean, certainly playing him, uh, I felt like I was him. So I, I, I felt <laughs> like, uh, you know, I I really felt uh, transformed during that process. I would feel so much of him, um, mm-hmm. it, 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 like I got out of the way and just let him move through me. So I do know what you mean. And I think, you know, that was a more intense time, of course, um, a more regular time of that. But yes, I, I do very much still hear him, feel him and feel that, that my, I actually have a, a, a sister who had a, has a friend in Boston and she went to this, um, I guess psychic, if you will, who actually mm-hmm. sees a few people at a time. Uh, so I guess it's like a small, small group uh, of people. That's that's her her way. Anyway, the point is that my sister had seen this old friend in Boston. Um, uh, it was a couple months back, and my family, some of my family, was is was having a hard time with my being so public. Now I've been public before, which they've had a hard time with, but yes. obviously. A, a, a book is different than a than an off Broadway show. It's the potential to reach, you know, millions on Megyn Kelly, which I was on, versus mm. uh, you know, two hundred seats. 
So the point is that my sister was telling her friend in Boston about some of the family having, you know, struggles with this. And um, she listened and was whatever, supportive. Then she goes to this psychic like within a week or less. Mm. And in the room, the psychic was saying, I'm feeling this large family. And so for your listeners who this may not have come up yet, I'm the youngest of 13. Whoa. Uh, Yeah. So um, it's a big, uh, a big number. And anyway, um, so the, the, the psychic was like, well, there's, you know, it's a big family and nobody in the room was responding. No one had a big family. Nobody was, you know, extended family was that big. So no one was really responding. So she kept going on and a few more things. And then she said, there's a man, uh, he's not with us anymore. And he, uh, he wants the family to know that, that it's okay, that it's okay. And then a couple beats later, she said, um, that and no, still no one was responding. And then she said, um, is there a calf? C-A-T-H, so mm-hmm. short for Catherine or mm-hmm. Kathy. No one calls my sister Kath except us, you know. Mm-hmm. And besides, how many people are Kath? You know what I mean? Yeah. Catherine or Kathy. So she, the woman literally said Kath. And my friend said, oh, <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a friend who I just saw last week in a really big family. And so clearly my dad was, in my opinion, it's too crazy and coincidental mm-hmm. those that don't believe don't have to but i mean come on calf and mm-hmm. a big family and somebody you know she had just talked about this so i mean in my own ways i think people and spirits and people speak to us and i'm sure your dad is still speaking to you and will continue to speak to you yeah i think so I, before I like, I think growing up in conservative Christian land, I would have never been open to something like that before. Yeah. Um, but I have a a few friends who have like kind of encouraged me and was like, you know, like, you know, if if you feel like it's real, like, what if it is? And even if it's yeah. not, you know, does it help you sleep better at night? Does it make you move through the world with more intention? Good. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing with like going from like a very small. Cause I still very much identify as a Christian. I still still attend uh, a church as weekly as possible, which is a super uh-huh. progressive and inclusive congregation. But my faith has evolved into something so much bigger than uh, just simply like like I like people just like you know like being a Christian is the only way. I'm just like sure, and also. I've experienced God in all of these other spaces with all of these other people and through people of other faith traditions. Yeah. Um, um, it's a beautiful thing. You're right. And your friends are right too. It's sort of the bottom line is if it's working for you and your heart is open, um, then I say, who cares what it is? If it's yoga or Sunday mass or, you know, uh, chanting, you know, with, with, Sufis, you know, on a mountain, it's like the point is that is it making you a better human being and are you more compassionate and are you more loving? I mean, that is what I think, you know, we're all striving for and hoping more of in our world. Um, I always have issue when, you know, obviously somebody decides that their way is the only way Mm. that's where I get a a little, a little um, jammed up because I, I just say to myself, you know, if or to them, you know, if you can look up at the sky and explain it all to me, I will then believe your version. But, <laughs> yes. but you can, 
please don't tell me or anyone else that your way is the only way and that you're the only only people who will be saved or honored or allowed through some gates. I mean, it's um, it's absurd as as if one group of people has uh, the answer. It's there's a million billion trillion mm-hmm. <laughs> ways to do it. And uh, I think what you're describing is exactly how I feel about it is there are so many ways to be a wonderful, loving, compassionate human being, and you have to find it for yourself. Yeah. And there's so many ways to be connected to God or the divine or however, whatever word you want to use for that. And I think, you know, if I didn't go to that yoga class the day that my father went into hospice care, I would have not had that revelation Mm. that my father would still be with me even after death. If I, you know, um, if I didn't, you know, go around the world and stand on a mountaintop in Nepal and watch the sunrise, I would have never actually like appreciated you know, like God in nature, I think. Yeah. It's, it's all exactly. these, it's these different places where like, just like God's not lurking in four walls on a Sunday morning. You know, God <laughs> is sneaking around yeah. in the, like the least likely person that you're going to encounter on the street. And if you don't have your eyes open to it, mm-hmm. like you're missing out on some of the greatest treasures that the world wants to offer you. It's so true. And, um, you know, I have a niece who's gay, um, And it reminds me of uh, a story she told me recently um, that when she came out to my parents, um, she kind of had a similar experience I did, uh, which I didn't really know um, uh, the details of it. Um, She's um, lived out of town. We weren't in the same town. So I, I actually and I was off to New York by the time she was sort of coming of age. So I, I didn't know her life well. But the point is that I remember um, her sharing with me recently that my dad was incredibly loving and gentle. Mm. And it's just interesting where, and then my mother was having, you know, the harder time. And on the surface, if you were to have met my parents, you would say, oh, your mother's so gentle and sweet and kind and um, soft-spoken and loving and thoughtful and if you had met my dad you'd be like god he's so uptight (laughs) he's angry he's um you know a workaholic he's edgy um he drinks too much you know and yet people are everything Mm -hmm. you know so for me it's sort of like what you see on the surface is not always what you get and we have to be as human beings as you said very very mindful and present to make sure we don't miss what's walking down the street to, to yes. not miss what we're asking for. Cause so many times I'm sure you've experienced this too. And I, I experienced it and have to laugh at myself as an artist, you know, you know, it's like I'm asking for something I'm praying for something and I'm, you know, you know, just engaged so passionately asking for what I want. And it's been there the whole time. Like, mm, yeah. Well, the solution it's right next to me but i'm so busy like in my own spin that i miss it and i think spirituality is the same way when you get so locked into something having to be answered in this form i don't think you have as much chance as all the miracles that just keep showing up every every moment you know Come. did y'all know tina alexis allen was a pastor did you know because she can preach <laughs> 
not intentionally, but oh, <laughs> thank it's n- you. <laughs> the last thing is just like we, we're never intentional, but like when you're speaking a powerful truth and it just like mm-hmm. makes your whole body shake a little bit, I'm just like, <laughs> and I come from like a little bit of like a Pentecostal background too. So like we, t- we shout a little bit when the past is doing real good. I like it. I like it. I, I would probably really enjoy that. I, I like that sort of soulful clapping, shouting. Um, you know, I, my my friends tease me. It's like, yeah, it's all good. I love I love that sort of passionate, soulful way of being. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's more fun. I feel like people get so tied up in things. Yeah. Um, that are. Uh, I mean, like, Western culture teaches us anyways. Just, like, keep your emotions to yourself. Don't get too excited and don't get too sad. Just kind of live somewhere in the middle. And I am, like, if I can't live between both extremes, like, you know... Like, there's, like, the thing, like, I'm working on right now is, like, holding... uh, Holding my sadness that I've been carrying for the past few months and at the same time acknowledging that even though I'm sad, there's so many good things that are happening yeah um and i think that people have trouble holding on to the tension of this in between and like maybe and not just of like good and bad happening at the same time but also kind of this uh duality or like this like nebulous mix of lovely and broken that we all kind of carry around at the same time Mm -hmm. Um, yeah Yeah. including it right including everything richard rohr would say everything belongs yeah, um, I love him. You know, he um, he gave my book a um, um, endorsement, if you will. Um, I'll uh, I'll send it to you. And um, you know, he basically uh, I'd have to paraphrase or pull it up, but basically he, um, you know, he said that you know the journey of you know merging the the lightness and the dark is is necessary that mm. we. We have to, we have to explore both the, the shadow he talks a lot about, and he he talks about my book, because um, of course there's a lot of shadow in my book. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know sex and and you know outrageous behavior, but there's also uh, the light and there's true um, you know faith and spirituality that's sort of trying to get through. Uh, as as you know, sort of a foundation in my home and the foundation of my father and um, you know, the Vatican element that, that crops up. So it's like the shadow needs the light, but mm-hmm. the light needs the shadow too. Yeah. Um, to, and, and we, we need to embrace that. But yeah, he was a big, big fan of my book. And, um, you know, I get think he used the word transformational agent, um, mm. in terms of the book. And I think yeah. that that's a key, um, point is that anything that we hold in such a dark space um you know we're going to be victims of until we put the light on it and transform yeah. it yeah 100 yeah the word like every i would second all of those emotions yeah um that yeah. the word transformational i think is apro- like not just not apro- John just apropos but just like spot on because yeah. i think even as you're writing in your book, and you kind of mentioned this in, in Matthias's podcast too, like you were writing from your younger voice of yes. not trying to explain anything, but just putting readers in the moment. And like, as I was going through it, that was the thing I felt the entire time was I'm like, she's not trying to explain this experience. She's just sharing this experience and letting it resonate with me. However, I need to receive it. Yeah. 
I always I always say, you know, I hope the book is a mirror, even mm. though it's a very specific, wild, uh, uh, audacious story. Um, and it, it is a page turner. I, I kind of get Seriously. that. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, I, I do. I have, I've been getting that feedback literally like, you know, 90 to 95% of the time, every review and every, every email and Instagram, you know, reach out I get is all about like, I couldn't put it down or some version of that read it in a day. The point is that that that's all there for a reason. Yes, it's, it's a wild ride. It's a roller coaster you're going to get on. But I always, um, my wish is always that people ultimately when they put it down or as they're going through find the mirror in it and and people are and that's what i love about it is and that's why i chose not to narrate it not to tell you how you should feel or why she did what she did mm-hmm. um at 18 19 20 i, I figured if you get on the roller coaster you're going to have the experience and you're going to have your own thoughts watching her and then you'll have your own thoughts about you and your life mm-hmm. and where you may still be hiding or feeling shame or where you're not resolved with family or um, need forgiveness or need to give forgive, you know, need to, to uh, forgive someone else. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that that's how you received it. Well, good. Well, (laughs) I, uh, I like you. I think you're really cool. (laughs) Thank you. I like you too. This has been really really super fun today i I thoroughly enjoyed it i'm so glad i try to do like the most casual conversations i'm not somebody who like comes in with like a very formal thing and i drop the cuss in words all the time because oh good good i love to cuss i actually i think i only did once today which is pretty good for me i'm really so (laughs) proud of you That was my conversation with Tina Alexis Allen. You can find Tina across the internet at Tina Alexis Allen and at her website, TinaAlexisAllen.com. And be sure to pick up her new memoir, Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, all the places where awesome books are sold, including the audio version, which is on your iTunes store and at audible.com. A Tiny Revolution is produced in part with support by Sonia Bowen and Christopher Breen, as well as 93 other incredible patrons who make this work possible. If you didn't already know, I am an independent creative, which means that I don't have any sponsorships or people around me helping produce this podcast. It's just me in my living room, living my best life. So if this podcast is helpful to you, if it's been good for your community, if you think that we need to be telling more LGBTQ-friendly stories, stories of, of, of queer people of faith, you should support it. If you've got an extra dollar or two every single month, that goes a long way. If you're the kind of person who buys your coffee rather than make your coffee, if you're the kind of person like me who goes out for Taco Tuesday, then I know that you've got a couple bucks that you can spare each month to help make more uh, queer Christian content possible. So go ahead um, over to patreon.com slash Garcia and become a sustaining member today. One cool thing that I'm starting, I was doing a daily devotional, which was incredible and fun and also incredibly unsustainable because uh, trying to write, like, you know, something every single day if i had the time for it i would love to do that but we're restructuring it and we're actually going to be launching a private podcast 
for supporters at the $7 level or above. So if you want to get a weekly dope sermon that kind of like tackles the Bible, tackles questions we have, and goes directly into your inbox when it's ready, you should uh, check that out. It's a way for me to flex my preaching muscles and a way for you to get a little bit of church, especially if you're someone who doesn't go to church. Um, that often and doesn't really connect with scripture on the regular. Maybe this would be a good way to start reconnecting with that. Just some thoughts. And yeah, we're getting ready to launch a new pride line uh, with Queerly Beloved Tees. I'm very excited to partner with my friend Donnie Sherlegit with again. And I think that's everything I have to say to y'all. So go, go buy Tina's book. Go subscribe to my blog. Um, go become a Patreon supporter. Go talk to your therapist. Go talk to your friends. Um, share this podcast with a friend. Leave us a rating if you haven't already. Leave us a rating and let us know how we're doing. A five-star review actually gets us in front of so many people. You have no idea. So even if you don't have cash money, honey, I know that you have a little bit of time to write a little bit of a quick review. Don't you? Don't you? Perfect. Okay. Well, I am done talking. I need to go edit this and then get to work on time because that's how we roll here in independent podcast creative land. So until next time, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I will see you again very soon. Bye, y'all.